Welcome to this edition of the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. On today's episode, we talk with Dr. Jeff Ross. Jeff is the founder of Bellshire Capital Management. Jeff and I discuss our careers in medicine and how we each found a path out. We discuss Bitcoin and Jeff discusses the types of asset he manages. We also had a great discussion about the role that Bitcoin can play in the church and in the lives of believers. Jeff also shares his insights on the recent market movements and what we might expect for the rest of the year. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jeff. I know you will too. Now, a little bit about our sponsors. Jeter Melder LLP is more than a law firm. It is a legal team. Justin and Michael have over 30 years of experience working with different clients on different legal issues from different sides of the docket in areas such as business disputes, constitutional rights, employment agreements, employment discrimination, local counsel, and pay issues. Jeter Melder have advocated in federal and state courts in Arkansas, California, Illinois, New Mexico, and Texas. With a unique blend of clients from doctors, fellow attorneys, tradesmen, hourly workers, and the unemployed to small businesses and Fortune 500 companies, they all have one thing in common. They believe in Jeter Melder and Jeter Melder believes in them. Give them a call at 214-699-4758 or visit them at JeterMelder.com. That's J-E-T-E-R-M-E-L-D-E-R.com. Jeff, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I followed you on Twitter. I enjoy your tweets. I enjoy your analyses. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk and actually get some professional uh, advice about Bitcoin and trading and all that, get your perspective on that. We're kind of in an interesting time. We've been through an interesting time with Bitcoin, and I'd like to talk to you about that as well. And for our audience, why don't you just describe um, or introduce yourself? And yeah, we'll go from there. Sure. Sounds good. First of all, thanks, Patrick, for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to be here with you today. I, I always love the chance to get to to talk about investing in, in Bitcoin specifically. So so this should be a lot of fun. Um, real quick, uh, I'm a, I'm a physician turned hedge fund manager. That's the quickest way to um, uh, sum up my career thus far. I started out uh, on the pre med track back in the mid 90s. Got out of training in 2008. Uh, I was a, a diagnostic radiologist and fellowship trained intervention radiologist. Uh, I did that uh, in Colorado since 2008. Uh, in the meantime, in 2013, I founded a, a registered investment advisory called Valeshire Capital Management and a hedge fund called Valeshire Partners. Started managing all that in 2014. And um, over the you know ensuing years, it got to be, um, it started to do very well, which is great. Uh, praise the Lord. So um, yeah. I was able to uh, retire from medicine. I actually just officially retired from from medicine about a week and a half ago. Um, so it, it feels pretty good. I, I feel, um, I, I feel really free, like a, a huge yeah. monkey is off my back. And so I'm, oh, I'm yeah. very excited to be in this position right now. Yeah. We share that in common. And I, I want to talk about that too. What Jeff, uh, explain, um, I, I believe you also have an MBA. W when did you, when did you obtain your MD, MBA or was that kind of on the side while you're practicing? Yeah, so everything was on the side. Valeshire was a side gig for many years. And then from 2017 to 2019, I went and got my MBA in finance as well. I actually also did a stint working. I was the... Um, 
uh, senior vice president of clinical investment operations for a, a medical startup uh, that helped other wow. healthcare startups uh, kind of get their feet off the ground and get uh, interested investors. So that was fun too. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so I, I've had my hands in, in many pots over the last few years and I'm, I'm just finally starting to settle down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for the audience that doesn't realize, I mean, I, I'm a surgeon by training and, and a serial entrepreneur. And I think for people don't realize the, oh my goodness, just re- remembering those days of wearing so many hats. It's so, so stressful. Um, so were you practicing interventional radiology as well, or just diagnostic radiology here in the last several years? Yeah. So I did interventional radiology through 2015 and I was on call every fourth night and you know, how oh my goodness, yeah. um, uh, so yeah. I was just, just tremendously busy, overwhelmingly busy. I couldn't even spend yeah. time with my family and friends. And so, yeah. um, it was in 2015, I decided to drop the IR. I, I dropped the call, uh, and I just did diagnostic radiology from that point. And did you work, uh, do you work for a, a group practice or are you a hospital employed when you, when you were practicing? Yeah. So um, originally, when I came to Colorado Springs, I I became a partner in a group, uh, the group that I did both uh, diagnostic and interventional radiology for. Um, I went down to, you know, drop the IR and went down to basically part-time diagnostic radiology in 2015. I did that through 2017. And then I completely, actually, that was my first retirement where I dropped out of uh, radiology and I I went to work as this uh, SVP of clinical investment operations for this other firm and got my MBA. And then I came back to radiology um, and, and this, uh, so for the last two years, I've been working as a teleradiologist for a private okay, sure. out in New York. So I've been working from Colorado for a group in New York. That's fantastic. And I think yeah. the other, you know, the call situation, you know, you, yeah, both of us experience those midnight calls or 2am calls. And, you know, if you're running a business on the side and then you have a clinical practice or a radiology practice, you've got to go to the next day. I mean, it's just, it is completely overwhelming. Um, so that's great. I mean, what, I, I, we're definitely going to get into the bit, Bitcoin discussion, but um, because we share the common bond of, of being physicians, I mean, um, did, did you always want to get out of medicine? Was there always a plan, a path to get out of medicine in your mind? So- uh, I would say no. Uh, way back in college, I had to make the decision between do I want to go down the investment path or do I want to become a physician? Obviously, you can't do both. Um, and so I chose pre-med and I was really happy uh, going down the medical route and the training route for a really long time. It wasn't until I got out of all my training uh, in 2008 and in 2009, I actually started a blog teaching people how to invest on their own. So I got right into it once I was I had a little more free time, wasn't working the 80 to 100 hour weeks anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I got picked up then quickly thereafter by, um, the Motley fool, if you've heard of them oh, yeah. and, sure, uh, Alpha. and, I, and I, yeah, I used to write kind of investment advisory pieces for them. Um, and I had enough of a following of people who said, Hey, I love your ideas. I love your investment style. Could you manage my money? And I'd always say, Oh no, no, I'm just a doctor. I, I just do this, uh, investment stuff on the side. But uh, enough people asked me that and kind of encouraged me down to go down that path that it started to stick in my brain. And so, you know, talking since we're physicians speaking to each other, I can speak freely. I, yeah. I got to the peak of my medical career, right? So I was a partner mm-hmm. in a group. I was doing yeah. private practice. I was full-time IR and full-time diagnostic radiology, really busy. And I was really discontent. I was like, is yeah. this really all there is? Is this what I work for? And, and you just have a horrible quality of life. 
And in yeah. return, you get paid a lot. And that's nice. And a lot of people look yeah. at that and they say, well, it must be nice to be a doctor because you make so much money. Man, it does not make up for your quality yeah. of life, which is just terrible. Yeah. And your and your you know the the minimal time you have with your wife and your kids and all that kind of stuff. So, I kind of I got just sort of antsy and un, and uneasy, and I started thinking, well, if I don't want to do this until I'm 65, what other That's things right. could I yeah. do? And so yeah. I, I have, I've always had this passion and knack for investing. I thought, well, you know, I'm, I like helping people. I'm at heart, even more than a physician or a, or an investment advisor, I'm a counselor. I love helping people think through their life and, and helping them improve and, and lead a better life. And so I feel like I can do that just as well with Valeshire as I could as a doctor, uh, which is hard that's for fantastic. some people to believe, but it's, but it's how I feel about it. And so that, that's basically what put me down that path. And then, and then the hedge fund itself was, if I could, if I could work in the investment field, how would I want to do that? And I knew I didn't want to be a salesman. I didn't want to be a, you know, a traditional financial planner, uh, shilling insurance and other type of products. I really just want to invest wisely and help other people to do the same. And so that's how Valeshire came about. That's fantastic. I, I mean, I, I went through the same I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So it's something even after my training, I, I wanted to start a company and, and get into business, having no business experience. But you're right. I mean, you you get to this pinnacle of, OK, is this it? Um, I do. I also love to help people. But and you just get into the grind of it. And I was a, a physician. I was physician employed by a hospital group. And, you know, you just become a cog in the wheel and, it you know, you have the title, you're making the money, but you just you, you, there's just no fulfillment there. Do, do you, Jeff, do you think, let me ask you this, and I don't know if you've been keeping up with the whole COVID thing, but you know what, it seems like we have a lot of physicians, medicine has just been sold out. I mean, do you see it that way? Have you thought about it? Oh yeah. And and even just what you said, I, I use that same phrase. I feel like a cog in the wheel or just like, you know, a, a little tool in the, the big, huge healthcare system. It's very frustrating. And it, and it feels, especially for physicians who we feel like we've kind of, you know, reached this pinnacle where we've been preparing for 25 years of our lives to yeah, get to this spot. Yeah. And then we get kind of overridden by the system that forces that's us right. to do what, to do their bidding, or we don't get paid. That's just kind of how it works. And so that's a very yeah. frustrating place to be in a especially for our types of personalities, I think. Um, yes, I feel like things have become too systematized, definitely too political. I mean, it became way too political with COVID. D disease, infectious disease and all diseases should never become politicized because mm -hmm. once it becomes politicized, it's no longer evidence-based science, right? It's no longer yeah. evidence-based medicine. And so this has been extremely frustrating to watch. And, you know, of all people who uh, have an outside perspective of the healthcare system, it's me, right? I'm a diagnostic radiologist working mm -hmm. as a, as a teleradiologist. So I don't even see patients anymore, or I didn't until I uh, just retired. So I was not on the front lines like lots of my colleagues and friends who are, you know, ER docs and, and you know, uh, family practice, other types of physicians, seeing patients on the front line. That would be very frustrating and I think and very tiring. And I see a ton of fatigue. And um, and just as a side note, when I announced my official retirement that I'm moving on to, you know, Valeshire, I, I have had literally no less than probably four to 500 physicians mostly and other health coworkers, but mostly physicians reach out to me uh, directly. Uh, they, they're DMing me, they're emailing me, they're saying, 
I am so frustrated. I'm so tired with this. I, I really wish I had a plan B, you know, kudos to you for having a plan B, Jeff, but man, could you help me think through this oh, and, wow. and help figure out a way for me to get out of this system? And it, there is a ton of uh, despair in, uh, among physicians. Yeah. It's, it's pretty troubling, actually. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, yeah. And for the listeners out there, uh, typical typical reimbursement for what we do, I mean, in a, in a well-managed private practice, I mean, if you're getting 50 50% of what you bill, you're doing pretty good. Uh, so that's very frustrating. You can imagine going to an attorney and only paying him 50% of what he's billing. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to have an attorney for very long, but it exactly. happens in medicine. It happens in medicine. You know, that's our daily grind is trying to fight for the money that um, we've billed and it just doesn't get paid. So yeah. And that's just an aside for the listeners. Jeff, um, I mean, it sounds like you know, investments being kind of something you've done for quite some time and, and a very adroit at it. But, you know, when when were you first introduced to Bitcoin? Yeah. So let's start with that. When were you first introduced to Bitcoin? Sure. So I, I was drawn into the crypto space, I'll call it, back in about 2016. And that was as an investor, you know, as a hedge fund manager. I saw the the sharp race, the, the the very high sharp ratio of Bitcoin, which is basically the risk adjusted returns of Bitcoin. So everybody talks about Bitcoin's volatility; it's famous for that. Um, but it's what's amazing about Bitcoin is it's it's more volatile to the upside. So its risk adjusted returns are just off the charts, especially compared to any other traditional asset class. So I got into it in 2016, 2017. At the time, I was this you know very wealthy IR physician making a ton of money, and I was buying lots of Bitcoin and other cryptos uh, back when Bitcoin was like two to six hundred dollars a shot, and so I had a lot of it. So my huge mistake I made back then is I got uh, enticed into the rest of crypto because I thought, well, Bitcoin is great, but look at all these other things that seem to be going up even more. You know, that included Ethereum, and then all mm -hmm. of the you know the hard forks, the Bitcoin. Cash, the Litecoin, mm -hmm. um, other things like that, and and I had a list of like twenty of them, and I was all into that. And then if you if you were back, I I, I don't know how long you've been into it, but so back then there was a, a huge ramp up mm -hmm. in twenty seventeen, mm -hmm. and then everything crashed in early twenty eighteen. And so by the by early twenty eighteen, I had sold all of my Bitcoin very regrettably, and watched all of my other altcoins fall literally ninety to mm -hmm. ninety five or even ninety eight percent. It was super painful. Uh, and so I learned a lot from that. But what, what happened then is I still didn't get Bitcoin. This was back during the um, fork wars. And we were still trying to figure out the market itself was trying to figure out what will be the, the world's, the one world currency. Uh, what is the best money? Is it going to be, maybe it is Bitcoin cash. Maybe it is going to be Litecoin. Maybe it's Dogecoin, you know, who knows? But the, you know, since then it's obvious the market has clearly chose, uh, chosen Bitcoin as, as its preferred uh, money. Um, so fast forward to 2019, that's when I officially decided to take the leap and I went down the rabbit hole. It started with reading um, the Bitcoin standard by Saifedina Moose, and that just lit a fire in me and, and, I, and it hasn't gone out since then. So I went, I went down that and I've been studying it. I, I mean, I've put several thousands of hours of yeah, studying into yeah. it and, and um, I've never been more convinced of anything in my life um, that it's yeah. just, it's just frankly, it's simply, it's just a better money and, and it's going to change the world. It's going to revolutionize how we think, how the world works. Um, most people don't understand this yet, but to me, it's clear as day. Um, and so, so the, I divide up this whole world into there's Bitcoin and then there's all the other altcoins and they have a totally different purpose. Um, 
yeah, so I'll stop yeah, there. I to- totally agree. So I got in in mid to late 2018. I was I was uh, aware of it for quite some time, and I saw the bubble, but um, didn't participate until 2018. And I, I think most of us can have a regret story of getting involved in altcoins. And I, I did the same thing, uh, played with it a little bit, but you know, at some point you just have to decide. And I actually actually learned how to trade and tried to do that a little bit. But you know, as again, another thing to do as a physician, you have to be. Most people don't realize if you really want to be successful, I mean, you've got to be sitting in front of a computer all day trading and, and learning and, and making mistakes and all that. And I just couldn't do it. So I finally just put my head down and, and bought Bitcoin. Um, Jeff, what? So um, getting back to your investment group, Valshire, do when you're for your clients, are they purchasing a, a portfolio that includes stocks and Bitcoin, or do you have kind of two separate offerings? I mean, are people kind of leery with the Bitcoin thing and they say, you know, I really don't want to do that, or or, they, or do they come to you because they know you've got that in your portfolio? Sure. So a couple things here to tease out. First of all, Valeshire has two lines of service. I have my hedge fund, which is a healthcare and technology centered uh, long short fund. And then I have my separately managed accounts. And that's for kind of everybody else who maybe may not be an accredited investor. Uh, and and uh, I manage IRAs and brokerage accounts and things like that. Those clients I have divided up into basically the typical aggressive, you know, somewhere in the mid range and, and very conservative. I will tell you that in 2019, I, I it, the hardest thing to do was to get my clients from zero to a 1% Bitcoin allocation. Mm. Everyone was skeptical of it. Everybody knew it was used by criminals and, you know, and it wastes energy. And what's, what's, what does this thing even do? Why would we ever invest in this? It seems very dangerous. Um, so I spent a ton of time in 2019 educating my clients about the importance of getting off of zero uh, and talking to them about how it definitely improves our risk adjusted returns in our portfolio. As I started to get more and more clients off of zero and into it, I basically had two camps. I had the non-Bitcoiners and the Bitcoiners. And I would actually just show the non-Bitcoiners the results of the portfolios because I, as you mentioned, so I, so in Valeshire, we invest in stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, um, you name it. I'm comfortable kind of, in, I, I invest in any asset class I'm comfortable with. And then I think the underlying fundamentals will support it and that it will generate alpha, meaning I think it will beat the market. Um, so I would just show my clients, here's what your client looks without Bitcoin. And here's what the exact same portfolio with a little bit of Bitcoin looks like. And the, mm. and the difference was palpable, right? And so over time, enough people started to believe it and started to believe what I was teaching them uh, that they've come on board. So probably now I have about 98% of my clients into Bitcoin. The ones that aren't into Bitcoin specifically, um, I have them in kind of Bitcoin proxies as well. So uh, whether they whether they um, are aware like of it micro, or not. Micro strategies or yep. riot or something like sure. that. Okay. Things like that. Right. Square is another good example. Things that are okay. kind of have at least partly are partly based on the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, so that's that's worked out really well. It was mainly just education at first. And then and now we have this whole strata of clients, the, the super aggressive that want to go just all in on Bitcoin and all the way down to no uh, to nothing. And so what I tell people, is, where does Valeshire fit in? There are no coiners and there are 100% Bitcoin maximalists. And for everyone in between, there's Valeshire. So, so people who still want some stock exposure and maybe think bonds and who knows, you know, uh, w- whatever um, asset classes are good for a diversified portfolio, that's where I come in. But for people who okay. are just sold out on Bitcoin, they, they don't need me. 
Right, right. And that was the question. So let's let's assume that they they want to put 60 percent of their wealth into Bitcoin. You're 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 giving them guidance and counsel on that. But there there's really nothing you need to do for, for them. Yeah. And I consider on, that on a that? victory. Yeah, yeah. I tell people that yeah. all the time. I am I am teaching people to not need to use me again. You know, so so as this Bitcoin wave happens, I think it's going to be like super dramatic for the next 10 years as Bitcoin adoption increases, as the S curve ramps higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and goes vertical. And I think I'm going to put myself out of work. It's kind of like for radiology, I think AI is going to take over yep, diagnostic absolutely. radiology. And I'm happy yep. to help help uh, usher that in, even though lots of traditional uh, radiologists don't agree with that. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just inevitable. Yeah. It, it, well, it, you know that, I don't know if you've read that book by Jeff Booth, The Price of Tomorrow, but yes. you know the exponential growth factor that people just they can't get, you know, and yep. if you're lucky enough to understand it and get a glimpse of it and you grab it, then you're, you're fortunate. But yeah, a lot of people just miss that exponential growth. Uh, I, you know, I, um, just segueing a little bit, I, I'm going to, I told you on Twitter, I'm, I'm taking one of your quotes from your newsletter that you sent out yesterday. And, um, so I'm doing a Bitcoin for churches seminar this, this Friday. And this, by the way, for the audience, this recording is, um, will be after that. But, um, your quote was the longer you save in cash, the more expensive life gets. And the longer you save in Bitcoin, the cheaper life gets. I mean, it's just, I love that. It's, it's just fantastic. It's kind of, uh, self-evident for those of us in Bitcoin, but, um, for those who are trying to understand Bitcoin, that, that can be kind of one of those statements like, okay, what does this really mean? And what, what do I have to do to, to satisfy, you know, um, either one of these, um, positions when someone gets into Bitcoin or when you introduce someone into Bitcoin, what percentage of their portfolio do you think is kind of a tipping point that if they have this percentage of Bitcoin, even if, if they're not a maximalist, but if they have this percentage, they're going to be, like golden hmm. and anything above that is, you know, icing. So that's a tough question. And I've, I've found that it's intensely personal and it's completely related to your education about Bitcoin. And so people who uh, are still skeptical of it and haven't done the research, um, it kills them to even be in just 1% Bitcoin, because even though they experience better gains, they're so freaked out by the volatility and they don't get it. And so whenever we have a market panic uh, and Bitcoin drops, and it does, it sometimes it drops 50%. Yeah. It just did that in, in April and May. Um, yeah. I, I've, I, when that happened, I had two of my VeilShare clients panic and sell like literally at the bottom. They just like ordered me to liquidate their portfolios, even though I was begging them not to. I'm like, I promise you, this is just short term. You're going to regret it. Please don't sell. Please don't sell. And they sold uh, right at the bottom. And, and that's just how life works because people trade emotionally. And so people have yeah. a very visceral response to seeing, uh, you know, either their whole portfolio or even just a piece of their portfolio drop precipitously. So they don't like that volatility. I'm on the, on this side saying, okay, this is a buying opportunity. Go all in, yeah. you know, and yeah. they're like, no, no, I want out. I want out. Um, so, so it, de- it depends on their education. Once people get Bitcoin, I've noticed a pattern with that. The more educated you are about it, the more comfortable you are with owning uh, more and more of it. 
And so I've literally seen people go from one, so from zero to one, and then from one to three to five to 10 to 25 to 50. And then I have some people who they, they're just ready to go all in. And that's because I think they're viewing it properly as savings. They're not looking at anymore as a speculation. They're not trying to trade and time the market anymore. They don't even see it like an investment. I think that you know phase two is seeing it as an investment. Phase three is seeing it, this is savings. It's just a new money that appreciates in value over time because it has a perfectly finite and fixed supply. It can't be manipulated. It's decentralized. It's totally secure. It's just savings. And so that's why I tell people like, do you, do you speculate with your bank savings account? Right, of course, right. you, of course you don't. It's just ridiculous yeah. to think of it like that. So I yeah. just look at people and say, well, if they say, how much should I put in? I say, well, how much do you think you should have in savings? If your savings holds and appreciates your purchasing power over time, how much of that should you put in? And, and you know, it's, so it's a different question for everybody, but people eventually, they just get higher and higher levels. And some people get to 100% at some point, which I think is actually okay. If you're not if you're not speculating and kind of dabbling, do you think that most people become educated? Because there are some people that probably are in and out of it because they're just trying to speculate and trade. But do you think it's hard to hold Bitcoin without becoming more educated? It's very hard. In fact, you won't hold it. I can almost promise you that if you don't put the time in to educate yourself about what Bitcoin really is, you will panic and freak out because of its volatility. And I have people who just flat out tell me they don't want to own it because it's too volatile. And I say volatility is the price you pay for life-changing yeah. gains. If you don't want it, if you're, yeah. if you're not willing to do that, then you shouldn't own Bitcoin, but you're going to, you know, that that meme, have fun staying poor. I don't like it because yeah. I think it's kind of mean-spirited, but yeah. I agree, but I do agree with it. Like if, if you just aren't willing to put the time in, you're, you're going to be poorer in the coming decades. That's just how because of how the new system works. And so what do you think that threshold of learning is? I mean, how many hours, what, what do you think is the critical threat? And everybody thinks differently and learns differently, but what do you think the critical threshold is? Yeah, how many hours? I, think it, I think you have to put in at least a hundred hours just to get yeah. a, a basic understanding of it and to really kind yeah. of start to grasp it. If you can put in a hundred hours, you will start to understand what is money. Why, why is Bitcoin a superior form of money? Um, why is it a healthier kind of money to have for yourself and your family and for society as a whole? Um, and then usually that will move people off from thinking of it as this crazy speculation to an investment. And then I think if you want to go from thinking of it as an investment to savings, which is, I think, the pinnacle, um, you got to put in another several hundred hours, you know, maybe even 500 to 1,000 hours at that point to, to reach that level. Yeah. So like for me, I'm 100% comfortable with the volatility of Bitcoin. I don't care at all. I dollar cost average into it every week. I just am slowly switching my savings into Bitcoin. I'm getting out of my other... So like, for instance, I think most stocks bonds and real estate are wildly overvalued right now because yeah, of what the federal yeah. reserve is doing all them people are desperate for stores of value and so those are being inflated by the money printing by the m2 money supply which continues to increase rapidly um, and because of that people people desperately want a stable or an appreciating store of value and the best we've had to date up until about the year you know 2009 was gold gold was a great stable store of value for several thousands of years now that we live in the digital age, we're clearly transitioning into the, you know, the information age, the digital age, and Bitcoin is this, you know, perfectly scarce, appreciating store of value for the digital age, and it's very transformative. Totally agree. Uh, when you, but when you think about the 
you know, if we think about a 0.5 or 1% penetration now, the population that that is has owns Bitcoin, but then you've got the the mass of other people that are trying to look for a store of value. I mean, there's there's definitely going to be a gap because a lot of them are going to probably try to panic to store their value in Bitcoin, but they're not educated. Mm-hmm. So that's probably going to continue to be the source of selling as we move, unless you're trading it. Um, that's probably going to be con- continue to be the source of sell activity as we move forward. Is that is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I mean, it, markets are markets, right? And what a, what a market is, it's full of people who buy and sell something. And so there's, and that's full of emotion because people are full of emotion. So we're always going to have cycles. We're going to have huge bull markets and then we're going to have big bear markets to compensate. Um, and so I just think that will always be with us. I don't think that it's going to be um, uh, as it has been in the past where it follows these real distinct four-year cycles. I think that's going to slowly go away and we're just going to have a regular market. But I do think it's going to go up and to the right indefinitely. I really believe that. Um, again, because just based on its properties, just the same way that the dollar decreases in value mathematically, it's guaranteed over time yes. to fall yep. in value. All government fiat will fall in value. Bitcoin will rise in value. It's just, it's just math. It's really basic. Um, and so, so, but as people don't understand that what's going to happen, right. We're, we're, I think we're at the start of the next leg of the uh, bull market, like right about now it's early yeah. October. Um, so I think we're going to rip higher. And what is that going to do? All the people who have been sitting on the sidelines are going to panic and they're going to FOMO yeah. in. They'll have the fear yeah. of missing out. They're going to pile in when Bitcoin's around 100,000, maybe when it goes above 100,000. And they and they always get out the get in at the wrong time because they're doing it out of greed instead of out of thinking about it. And so they're going to get wrecked when the market crashes again at some point. Who knows how much it crashes, but it will. Um, and then they're all going to quit and they're going to sell and they're going to complain about it. And they're going to say, see, it's for criminals and it's worthless and what a dumb thing. And, and, and then it's going to take, they have to go down the rabbit hole and they have to put the hundred hours in as well in yeah. order to get comfortable with holding this. So there's always going to be those people. Do you th- on this next cycle or in the current cycle, I mean, do you think there's going to be an 80% pullback or do you think it's going to be less? I think probably less. Um, and I'm really, people ask me this all the time. I have two paths that I can see. Path one is that we follow 2013 and 2017 and that the fourth quarter of this year, we rip higher, we go parabolic and Bitcoin goes, it could go to four or $500,000 in the next three months. I, I, I honestly would not be surprised if it did that. If it does that and we say, say we hit $450,000, then yes, I think an 80% pullback is actually possible. I could see us dipping back and going back below a hundred thousand and just ruining tons of people who got in at 400,000. If, however, we have this slow grind higher and maybe we're at, who knows, $95,000 at the end of the year, I actually think that we might have a little pullback, maybe a 10 or 20% correction at some point, but then I think we just continue to go higher. And that's where I think we may be breaking free from this four-year cycle that we're on. Um, One other thing that I watch too is what the miners are doing. So the Bitcoin hash rate, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. So when China kicked out the miners back in April, May, the hash rate dropped 50%. And that had a Mm -hmm. lot to do with the price declining 50% as well. So the hash rate recovery has been nice and it's been strong, but we're still not back up to those April levels. If that continues to kind of level off and not rise very fast, then I think the Bitcoin price might do the same thing, just not rise very fast and kind of just be a slow grind higher. 
if if we see a more rapid recovery in the miners and in the Bitcoin hash rate, um, then I think we could see more of a parabolic move higher. So I'm kind of just waiting and watching. I think yeah, those are yeah. the two most likely options. I don't think uh, I knew there are some bears out there who think the bull market's over and we're headed back down to 20. I just completely yeah. disagree with that, but it's, it's possible, yeah. but I disagree. I'm not a professional, but I, I, I just don't see that happening either, just based on what I know. Um, I, I'm sure you follow Willie Wu. I mean, Willie seems to think that we're kind of out of the cycle, the, the, the four year having cycle as well. He thinks we're just going to kind of go up um, mm-hmm. at this point. Um, do you, do you put, I, you, when you tweet, you, you have interesting tweets, you, you have a short-term outlook, um, long-term, and I think you sometimes do on-chain outlook and then to the news. Um, do you, are you doing on-chain analysis yourself? Or are you typically relying on Willy Woo and um, uh, Dylan to, to help with that? Yeah, Dylan and Will Clemente is another guy who's great. Another young kid who's who's great uh, with on chain. Um, so I read all of their stuff. I'm I'm uh, I'm friends with those guys, uh, and at least with uh, Will and uh, Dylan, and um, I'm a big fan of their work. I do my own kind of stuff too. That's just my personality, you know. Most sure. doctors, I think, they just kind of like to figure stuff out themselves. So, um, but I definitely uh, glean from those guys as well. They're more advanced for sure than I am uh, regarding the on chain stuff. So yeah, when I when I look at it, it's it's, it's how I work as a hedge fund manager in general is I like to take in as many pieces of information as sure. possible and then make the diagnosis, you know, and it's, it's how I work as a radiologist and it's how I, how I manage my fund as well. Sure. So, I mean, given that what, I mean, looking at, okay, if you look at hash rate on chain data and combine that with, I mean, I, I'm not an economist, but it's hard to not think that, we are really hitting a wall when it comes to our economy and inflation. When is that going to unravel? I mean, what's sure. what's the what's the time frame on the wheels coming off the bus with the economy? Yeah, so we're definitely at the end stages of this Keynesian economic experiment that's been going on for about eighty years or so. It's this credit based money printing uh, culture we have. And, and, you know, ever since 71, when we came off the gold standard and we've been backed by nothing other than the U.S. military, um, uh, that's when it all started to fall apart. It's been slow and, and we haven't noticed, right? Because the boomers have enjoyed, you know, this credit-based right. system where, you know, asset prices just continue to inflate. I think that the Federal Reserve and all central banks have absolutely backed themselves into a corner and their only solution is to continue to expand the money supply. And as they do that, that inflates hard assets. So again, commodities, real estate, uh, even stocks, and bonds continue to react predictably, um, but it's at the, w- these are nominal gains that we're seeing in our portfolios. You have to subtract the, you know, the real return is actually the, the some people use CPI, which I think really underestimates inflation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to look at how fast is the money supply increasing because that's the, tr- the true value of what these underlying dollars are worth. And so I think we're definitely in the final days of this. I think an unraveling actually is already starting to happen. I think it's kind of of like watching a slow motion car accident. Um, things are sort of falling apart. Every time we get some kind of black swan event or, you know, black swan or not, um, COVID, you know, th- that what does that do? The, the market panics, it sells, and the Fed says, we need to turn the spigots back on and create a bunch more money and do a bunch more quantitative easing. And that reinflates the asset prices. And so these are sort of the early stages, I think, of coming hyperinflation 
which definitely isn't here yet, but I think could come and it will come to other currencies before it comes to the US dollar probably. Um, but one by one, other fiat currencies are just going to start to fall. And this would be terrible, terrible news if Bitcoin didn't exist because there aren't great alternatives, especially for people who are you know, in developing nations that have terrible government currencies that are hyperinflating. They had no other option but to get wiped out. Their life savings yeah. and their work would get wiped out because of foolish government actions. And now we actually have this worldwide universal currency that is as ubiquitous as the internet is, uh, that people can, you know, put push their savings, their fiat savings into to preserve and appreciate their purchasing power over time. So yes, I think we're in the final days. I don't know how long it takes to really truly unravel, but I think it's going to be a very volatile decade in general. And I think the clear loser is fiat currency. And I think the clear winner is Bitcoin. And I think uh, there's tons of stuff in between that could maybe do well. But to me, it's just so clear as day, so obvious what the solution to do is you short the dollar, long Bitcoin, and you'll be fine for the next decade. Well, what I mean, if you look at, and again, it's multifactorial and a lot of moving parts, but do you think you're going to see sovereign and fiat currencies fail first, uh, hyper, isolated hyperinflation events, or are you are we going to start seeing, you know, uh, a falling stock market or asset prices because people are pushing into Bitcoin? Um, and if it's going to be all of those, which obviously at some degree it's going to be all of those, you know, which one will be the leading indicator, do you think? I think um, two things we'll see over the next couple of years. I think we actually continue to see surprising, it'll be surprising to most people, surprisingly good stock market returns. And that's actually one of the first signs of inflation is we see real estate and stocks and other hard assets inflating in value and rapidly. And we and everybody will think, oh, this is great. It's, it's because of the good times. This is awesome. But what they're not realizing, it's because the underlying currency, the denominator in the equation is debasing so quickly that it's, ma it's making your returns look very good. So that's one, but people won't realize it because they're going to be so happy that the stock market is ramping up. And then I think we're going to start seeing isolated government. So weaker fiat currencies, they're going to start to fall. So they're going to start hyperinflating first. And when that happens, what's going to happen quickly is it's going to be slowly at first and then all at once where people in those yeah. different countries are going to say, wait, do I, do I want to keep this garbage fiat currency that's devaluing by the month or by the day even, or should I put it in Bitcoin? Uh, and they're going to, they're going to look at these two options and they're going to one by one choose Bitcoin. And then this whole massive wave of people will do that. And that will cause that government's fiat to just collapse. So I think the strongest fiat currencies, I think of the U S dollar, you know, China is going to be kind of isolated from what's going on. It's going to seem like they made a good decision, but in the long run, it's a bad decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this, the Swiss franc, uh, uh, all these things. I mean, I think the Euro holds on for a while, the Japanese yen, the stronger currencies, um, but they'll they'll all kind of get picked off one by one with the weakest first leading up to the strongest. Yeah, very interesting. As you think about, and we talked about this a little bit before in your in your Christian faith. I mean, as we segue into kind of thinking about that as believers, do you think this is a unique opportunity for the church and for Christians? I absolutely do. And I, I'll tell you, I live in Colorado Springs, which is kind of the, the heart of a lot of kind of worldwide ministries. So I, yeah, I'm in sure. contact with a lot of these people. I try to tell them this. First of all, I feel funny talking about Bitcoin as much as I do because, you know, I should be because what really matters is is Jesus Christ. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, the, that's the most important decision you can ever make is to get to know Jesus, because that's your your eternity depends on that decision. But as far as 
why do I talk about Bitcoin so much is because the entire world is built on a foundation of, of money. It, it really is. It's how humans transact with each other. It's just how the world moves and works. And so what I love about it is it's open, honest, decentralized money that, that you, you don't have to worry is somebody, you know, manipulating me. Is this a fraud? Um, uh, it's, it's, it, it's totally different because it, it, it's not devaluing quickly like our fiat currency is. And that's what I see as, as a huge stressor on people's life is they'll work really hard. They'll work one, two, or sometimes even three jobs in order to make enough money just to live off of. But it's that's not enough. You can't just yeah. save cash in a bank and expect to do okay because your cash is just melting. You know, the value, your purchasing power is decreasing over time. So then what do people have to do? They have to figure out, well, shoot, I also have to figure out how to invest this money. I have to pick stocks. I got to learn how to invest in real estate. It's there's this whole industry built on that fear of people losing their purchasing power over time. That's the fiat system. And that's that short-term panic mindset that everybody, including Christians get sucked into. And so what I love, and this is what I tell my Christian family and friends is I say, look, you, you, this will change your relationship with money forever. When you save in Bitcoin, you literally can quit thinking about money. You can focus on God and doing the Lord's work and you can go do overseas missions and you can go help the poor and do whatever you want because you know that your, your Bitcoin, you know, sitting in the Bitcoin bank is just going to, uh, uh, preserve and increase your purchasing power over time. You don't have to think about stocks and bonds and real estate. You don't have to hire an investment advisor. You don't have to work two and three jobs to make enough to support your family. Literally, Bitcoin is the ultimate side gig and savings account you will ever right. have. And so you can just quit thinking about money. I tell the ministries that I talk to, look, you guys get endowments, but and then you and then you look for people to invest that money and how you know do we put it in treasuries or in a CD you know which is just losing money over time all right. these goofy yeah. options people have or do you just put it in Bitcoin and trust that it's going to grow and it's going to be there and it's going to be larger and more valuable 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now than it is today you can quit thinking about all this other That's garbage. Right. Again, this is what I do, right? I'm a fund manager and I'm an investment advisor. And I'm telling you, you won't need me 10 years from now if you just start saving in Bitcoin today. So I love it. And for Christians to just think, you know, we, we don't want to talk about it because we're not supposed to be so focused on money. We want to be focused on God. I'm telling you, you will focus less on money if you just start saving in Bitcoin. Yeah, very well said. I mean, <laughs> it's like you read my slide set. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing, though, because I think once you get it, especially, you know, if you're a believer, if you're really um, trying to uh, walk with the with the Lord, th- these principles are just so fundamental. And once you get it with Bitcoin, it, it just it becomes so obvious. Um, you know, I so I've written on some, you know, Bitcoin in the church and Bitcoin in missions. And the you know, my dream, my goal would be that churches would invest in Bitcoin. If they started investing in Bitcoin now, they may never have to raise money again. You know, yeah, uh, right. if you go on, a, if you go on a mission trip, you, you may never have to come back on furlough to, to ask for money if you save in Bitcoin. Right. Um, so I, I, I look at it and I, I agree. I mean, if you're, if you're saving in Bitcoin, the value of your time is increasing um, with the value of Bitcoin. And I think that's what we've lost in the fiat mindset is that you know, we, have, we we say it all the time, time is money, but we don't really know what that means. We don't really think about what that means. And yeah, I mean, if we had more time to do what the Lord wants us to do, because we 
you know, we had what we needed in Bitcoin. I think that's fantastic. Hmm. Um, so if, but do you think there's a fear that, you know, if the church does that, if Christians do that, that they replace their love of the Lord for the love of, of the orange coin? I mean, is that... Right. Well, it, that's definitely uh, a concern, right? I mean, people can get into that. If you if if you get so enticed by becoming fabulously wealthy and that's your goal, you will start to you know you'll start to worship and devote and put all of your time into how do I make more money? How do I get more Bitcoin? Blah blah blah. If that's your take, you, yeah, you, that's not the right way to be. That is that is you're you're putting yourself in in prison and in sin doing that. I think, and so you have to separate that. Like you know, God is God. Um, and Bitcoin is just a new and better money. And I, when I talk to people, especially Christians, I try to keep it down at that level. Like it's, this isn't, this shouldn't consume you. This is just, it's just a new and better money. That's simply all that it is save in Bitcoin and then go about your life. And so like, I tell people like, get it out of your head, just, just set up a program where you're just dollar cost averaging into it. So you're slowly converting your fiat savings and investments into Bitcoin savings. And then you don't have to think about it again. And you're not going to be stressed out about your job and your work. And it's so funny because I, I know a lot of people, my own fam, some of my own family members will, they hate talking about money because they feel like it just yeah. sort of feels wrong to them and kind of evil to them. And I'm like, but you're talking and thinking about it all the time in this fiat mindset because you're so desperate to support your family and and you know trying to pay the bills and trying to support missionaries uh, and and all that kind of stuff. And you don't even realize it, but you're stuck in this fiat mindset in this fiat world. And if you just will start saving in a in a better honest currency um, that Bitcoin is, you can just quit thinking about it. It's like you, they finally achieved your dream, and you never have to think about money again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's pretty it, amazing. It's, it is. No, you're no, 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 absolutely, Jeff. You're you're absolutely right. But I think it's hard for us to even conceive of that because we've just never had something like this. Right. Uh yeah. Uh, you know, I uh this this seminar I'm doing, it's with City Light Church in New York and Pastor Boyan there in City Light. He uh was able to convince his board to take their eight hundred thousand dollar treasury and stick it into Bitcoin. This is last August before Michael Saylor did it. And you know, now they're sitting on several million dollars of, of uh, you know, um, equivalent U.S. dollars because of the, the rise in Bitcoin. So, yeah, I, it's it's my mission to to get believers and Christians and churches more involved in in Bitcoin. Um, so the uh, Jeff, what kind of give us your your um, perspective and insight over what is other than the the Chinese uh, banning mining. Um, do you think that was the cause of this recent price decline or what, what's going on that that's given us this uh, really weird time in the market? It's, it's been really interesting. Yeah. So the way I look at it is back, you know, the, the beginning of 2021, uh, we, we were in a big bull market and we were ripping higher, kind of moving parabolically uh, for the price of Bitcoin from January to mid-April. I think that we just simply had gone too far too fast. And, and speaking of on-chain metrics, a lot of the on-chain metrics I was looking at was showing we were right at the cusp of basically being over priced uh, in Bitcoin. It's, it got ahead of itself a little bit too much. So everybody was in profits. Everybody was celebrating. You know, There was greed galore. Everybody was piling in and winning. That's usually when you start to look for, okay, we're probably near some sort of short-term top. And then right around that 
time frame. China did what it did. And Elon Musk, if you remember, he also was yeah, tweeting uh, some yeah. kind of, you know, bearish things and saying some goofy things. Um, and so I think it was a needed reset and it was harsh. It, you know, we took a 50% pullback and that, yeah. that's painful for a lot of people, especially the people who all piled in when it was 50 or 60,000 that first time. Mm. But the the overall course of, of Bitcoin is up and to the right because that's the adoption curve that we're seeing. And so um, the metrics I look at says we have about two and a half percent to almost three percent of the world now um, has some sort of Bitcoin exposure and that's doubling every year. Um, and so it, it is just always going to go up and to the right, even though it's going to be choppy and volatile along the way. So whenever we have these huge pullbacks, I just look at these as enormous buying opportunities. I think we definitely finish the year uh, at new all-time highs for sure. And possibly like we talked about earlier, significant all-time highs, like well into the six digits. Um, but I just look at this. This is something that just kind of goes up forever and you don't have to panic into it. You just have to kind of slowly start you know, saving in Bitcoin uh, and just enjoying the fact that your life will get cheaper and cheaper the more the longer you save in Bitcoin. Um, we, we all grew up in an inflationary world where we're used to, you know, when I was a kid, a can of Coke cost 25 cents in a vending machine and then it went to 40 and then 50 cents and then mm -hmm. 75 cents and then a dollar and whatever it is now. Um, and, you know, with ev everything, all Americans understand this, all people around the world. And that's that's just inflationary government fiat. And yes, that's what that's how we all grew up. But that doesn't mean that's the best way to do it. Uh, and it doesn't mean it will be that way forever. So I think we're going to live through this kind of weird, volatile transition period for 10 to 15 years. And then we move on to kind of a Bitcoin standard where we actually live in a deflationary world. And it's just going to kind of change everything and change how we think about everything. When you're describing Bitcoin to newbies, I mean, do you ever bring in the technology aspect to Bitcoin? I mean, we're talking about this technology adoption curve, which... I fundamentally believe in, um, but does that help? Do you use that? Does that help, does that help make the case? It does for the adoption curve perspective. I try to keep away from tech for most people because most people just don't get tech. Um, yeah. And it, it almost throws them off and they kind of think, well, this is just some weird, you know, techie money, magic internet money kind of thing that they don't really get. So I generally keep the discussion to just basic con uh, concepts of inflation and deflation. And, and, you know, and just the fact that we're used to in, uh, prices rising over time and there's this whole new currency that you, prices actually decrease over time. And wouldn't that be nice? Imagine, you know, going yeah, in for an MRI yeah. and it costs two grand to get an MRI this year. Imagine if next year it costs 1500 and then the next year it costs a thousand dollars and it just kept decreasing. And, and how fun, how fun would that be as doctors yeah, to, to yeah. offer client services and actually get to have lower and lower prices over a year, but to still have a, a better and better quality of life as a physician that's coming. Yeah. 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 Uh, not quick enough, uh, for sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jeff, as, so as, as you look forward for the next, I don't know, a couple of months, um, you know, what, what do you see kind of the, do you think there's going to be this great institutional adoption that we've always been wanting, you know, I just saw today on Twitter, us bank is, is going to start offering custodial services for, uh, their clients for, for, um, Bitcoin, via NIDIG, but it, it seems like the, you know, the big push with MicroStrategy and, and the conference that they did back in February, we haven't seen a lot of institutional, you know, investors or, or companies make that move or at least announce it. Do you think we're going to see that this quarter? I think this is the first quarter where we, where we see, uh, 
a good handful of companies come in. So still small. I think it, we're still in the slowly phase and then all at once that comes later. But I do think uh, we're going to be surprised to the upside. We've been disappointed last quarter. I thought I was hoping a couple more companies would come on board and they didn't. But I've mm-hmm. been watching, you know, the, speaking of on-chain metrics, uh, there have been several chunks of $1 billion um, Bitcoin investments coming through. And not many people can buy a billion dollars of Bitcoin sure. at a time, right? So they're probably companies that are doing that and are adding it quietly to their balance sheets. So I think we'll, we'll see several more and maybe the list will double. It's a small list, but I think it maybe doubles uh, this quarter. Um, and so that will be encouraging to people. And I think that will help kind of spark the next leg of this bull market. And then, I, you know, higher prices spark more interest. They spark more participants and that leads to higher mm-hmm. prices. It's that virtuous cycle. Um, mm-hmm. I think we see that in the coming months and it will be a generally good time. Hey, one thing I wanted to bring up, by the way, circling back, because we were talking about, you know, churches and ministries and, and employing, mm-hmm. uh, Bitcoin for as a savings technology. One other thing for people to think about, and I tell that, you know, we're, I, I live actually close to the navigators here in town. Okay, and, sure. Yeah. And other ministries that support overseas missions, a huge part of those organizations is what is supporting your missionaries overseas. When you give them money, you know, people, they, they, you, you take in money from the donors, you put, you have it in your savings account for your business, and then you distribute it and you distribute it through places like Western union and your wiring sure. money. And that's yep. a huge process. It's called, those are called remittance payments. Yeah. The one thing that is beautiful and you know this, I know, but the, on the Bitcoin lightning network is you can actually do remittance payments to your missionaries overseas almost instantly and almost for free on the Lightning Network. And so I would strongly encourage any type of church or missionary organization that supports overseas missions to consider using the Bitcoin Lightning Network to set up an account like with Strike or some other similar app. And you can transmit whatever it is, you know, $1,000 to somebody in somewhere in Africa or somewhere in Asia without permission almost instantly and basically for free. So it's, that's, that's, you will save tons of money by doing that. That's awesome. I mean, are you seeing any missionary activity around that or you're just at this point kind of preaching it? Well, that's another thing that's funny. So uh, of missionary activity, you know, as doctors, we're used to the concept of medical missions. I yeah. actually think financial missions is possibly an even more effective thing yeah. to do. Come in the Bitcoin beach, come in and with the gospel, but sh- show people how to use Bitcoin and get on a Bitcoin standard. It will transform your society for the yeah. long run and tell them about Jesus while you're doing it. You know, I mean, that's right. and you can fix, you can fix cleft palates. That's super important. You know, you can do all the other surgeries, do dental stuff, super important. Also tell them about Bitcoin and, you know, as you're telling them about Jesus. So I think that's, that's a great new missionary model for the coming decade. That's fantastic. I was just interviewing somebody in Iceland and I, I position that as a new wave of, of uh, evangelism and missions is to basically have a manual um, to teach people about Bitcoin and take those foundational truths and teach them about the gospel as well. So yeah, we're, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just amazing how, uh, Christians from different areas, different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, theological backgrounds are seeing the same thing. I, I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Jeff, this has been a great, great conversation. Um, I'm definitely going to, uh, put your contact info and Velshire's info in the, in the show notes. Is there, is there anything else you want to share with the audience, um, as parting thoughts? Well, first of all, you can always find me. I'm really active on Twitter. My handle is at Valeshire Cap. 
Um, I love talking with people. I love meeting fellow physicians and fellow Christians and fellow Bitcoiners. And if you want to talk about any of the three, or if I can try to talk you into any of the three, I would, I'm not a salesman. I'm totally genuine, but I just, I'm passionate about these different areas. Um, I, I just really think, you know, it's, it's literally money that's going to change the world. And, yeah. and for Christians, it's, it, it is, it's revolutionary. And, and I think that, um, the ability to um, just focus on the future and focus on what God has for you in the long run and quit worrying about um, all of this other stuff that comes with the fiat mentality. Um, it, it will be transformative to you individually and, and as a family and as the church of, you know, the church family of God. So, so think about that, you know, don't, don't just blow it off because you've heard bad things about it. Spend the hundred hours to, to, to dig into it. And, and, uh, and if you have any questions, come find me and I'm happy to, to talk to anybody about it. That's fantastic. And, and I'll verify, uh, Jeff is active on Twitter and he does respond. So that's, that's fantastic. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you would leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. Peace. Peace.